Welcome to Subject to Talent, brought to you by Allegis Global Solutions. Similar to you, we're always trying to learn more. On this podcast, we speak to talent experts around the world, covering workforce management, market trends, technology, and our forever evolving dynamic industry. Hello, hello. Thanks for joining us on a bonus episode of Subject to Talent. My name is Frank Edge. It was very important that we provided you with a COVID episode and we we thought long and hard about what direction we wanted to go. As we discussed this topic further, we knew we wanted to focus on the human aspect during this time. We wanted to bring you an episode that no matter what role you're in or what industry you belong to, we, we could all relate. And we wanted to take a step back and focus on each person individually. Believe that this is more important now than, than ever to take care of yourself. AGS always encourages its employees to focus on their well-being. And one of the things that we have is an employee resource group called Myself. And through this resource group, we were able to learn more about an organization called Mind. We invited Mike Jeffries from Mind to join us on our podcast today. Mike has worked for Birmingham Mind since 2003 and is currently the training manager there. He brings experience and expertise of service user involvement and has helped Birmingham Mind to embed service users in the co-design and co-delivering of its training modules. In this role, he has delivered training courses in a wide variety of settings, including bank sector, universities, local authorities, and many more. Mike is a qualified and experienced mental health first aid instructor. For this interview, our head of global inclusion and diversity, Ian Moses, had a chance to learn more from Mike. Let's hear more about it. All right. Hello, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you, Ian. Good. Thank you for making some time out of your day. I'm super excited to have this discussion with you and uh, learn a little bit more about Mind Birmingham. And I really appreciate you making time out of your day. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Looking forward to it. Very good. So to start things off, tell us a little bit about how you got into the industry. Okay. Um, I've, uh, I've always worked in uh, people-related work, really. So I've spent my whole working career in um, what, what in England will be called the public sector and the, the voluntary charity sector. Um, it will be some 17 years that I've worked for Birmingham Mind in a few weeks' time, actually. Well, well in, at the start of August. Um, and uh, one of the major motivations for even applying for the job really is my own personal experience of mental health issues and um, the fact that the job advert had at the bottom of it um, that they welcomed um, applications from people with what, what these days gets called lived experience of mental health issues in the jargon uh, it was a big encouragement to fill it in. I hadn't worked full time for a number of years. Um, so that, um, that that sparked my interest and, and I've learned a lot since about myself as mm-hmm. much as about mental health, I think really. The two things have gone together. <laughs> Yeah, that worked nicely. So can you tell us a little bit more about uh, Mind Birmingham? Yeah, certainly. Um, so Mind's a charity. Um, it's nationally in England. It's the largest chari- mental health charity. Um, plays a role um, working with government and kind of changing governmental policy and health policy, sometimes lobbying government, actually. Um, and locally for us for, in Birmingham, where I live and work, um, it's it's a kind of federated approach, really. Um, all of the local minds in our jargon, LMAs, are are um, affiliated to the national charity, but separate with separate charity numbers. So we um, we support something in the region of four and a half thousand people in, Bur- in the Birmingham area with their own mental health issues, from residential properties right through to people who dip mm. in from work for a short period of time, and uh, and my, um, my kind of um, training um, part of that is is just part of the wider part of the wider part of what mine does around mental health in the city. Okay. So elaborate a little bit more on, on your role within that company. What, what are some of your responsibilities? 
Okay, so I'm the training manager in terms of job title. What that means is I'm responsible for our offer to business, uh, to companies, to organisations around mental health. So I'm responsible for everything that we take into companies in terms of formal training sessions. Uh, it can be conferences, workshops, you name it, really. Um, and I deliver a percentage of those things. Um, to give you, a, I suppose, a very brief idea, six years ago, I'd say I did all of it. Um, now I do a small percentage because it's exploded in such a huge way that the growth of interest in mental health, particularly in the workplace, has been been enormous and, and brilliant to see. And we, we love being a part of that. Mm. Yeah, I'm seeing that that mental well-being is um, more prevalent now than than ever. So can can you tell us a little bit about the importance of awareness as well as maintenance of mental well-being and, and how to look after this? Absolutely. Yeah. One of the analogies I like to um, use is is the comparison with our physical health, really. Um, mm-hmm. And and I think um, in this country there's a, there's a wide awareness of the idea of your five a day for your physical health and what you need to do to keep yourself physically healthy. Um, I'm not going to claim I manage to do all of those things all the right. time, like mm-hmm. lots of people. Is the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's I think traditionally has been seen differently around mental health. I think what we're driving for, and we've come a long way, um, probably a long way to go still, is that getting people to think about, well, what's your five a day for your mental well-being? What are the things you can do to keep you uh, mentally just as well as, as you are physically? And some of those things are the same, exercise, good nutrition, good sleep, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but some, some of those things may be different, really. Uh, it's, it's about getting to know who you are, really, what mm-hmm. makes you tick, um, not just what gets you through the day, but what, what helps you thrive and be successful, really. Yeah. So um, we had the pleasure of having you speak to our Birmingham office. And uh, one of the things that kept kept coming up in that office or that uh, session that you spoke about was the stress container. Right. So can you elaborate on that stress container and uh, also share with the people on how how to notice that your stress container is overflowing? Okay, and that's lovely to hear. Um, I don't want to claim any credit for the stress container. Um, to be honest with you, if if, if anybody listening mm-hmm. to this um, puts the two words into any <laughs> search engine, they'll find it, and that's great that, that people can get easy access to it. And um, really, what what I think it describes is um, that there's a saying that gets you. I think I've heard most of my life in England. Anyway, I don't know whether this translates to America and other countries, but uh, people saying I've had it up to here, and, and what they mean by that is I can't take any more feels like my head's going to burst. Mm-hmm. I've taken on too much. I'm not dealing with things very well. Mm-hmm. And I think what that sums up is we all have an internal ability to contain the stress, the stress in our working lives, our personal lives, the interaction of that. And different people have a different size stress container. And that's based on life experiences, the amount of support you have around you, um, your ability to understand your own mental health and deal with that, really. So it's the idea of an internal capacity. Um, lots of different things impact on that, impact on the size of the stress container. But it's about learning to spot when that, that container is actually becoming quite full or potentially full. And that's when sayings like, um, I've had it up to here, or I guess the way it can sometimes come out, unfortunately, is that we scream or we shout or we cry or we are not as um, kind of proactive with our co-workers as we'd normally be. Mm-hmm. Um, those kind of things, really. Um, so that, yeah, the internal ability to control, uh, control stress. Because stress is, it's not always a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's uh, 
there's a level of stress for me now talking to you, not not because of you, Ian, because you're lovely, um, but because the, the level of nerves you can have about just talking to somebody <laughs> on a podcast or a, a, right. a training course. That's natural, useful, and, and a good thing. Um, but mm. the buildup of stress, particularly over longer periods, that can be more damaging and difficult for people. So the idea of a stress container is that it has taps and valves on it. Um, I suppose a good analogy is with, I don't know, you might have a a system on your drainage at home where you collect rainwater and water the garden. Um, this can be lovely, um, but without some taps and valves on that container, where are you attaching the hose? How are you using that water to actually water the garden? And the taps and the valves on the stress containers are our pressure valve. How we let that stress out, mm. how we give ourselves some breathing space, how we get from, I can't take any more of this, to, oh, you know what? Actually, I've dealt with this really well. Maybe I could do some more. Maybe I should give myself a break and a chance, and and maybe I'm maybe I'm better than I thought I was. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm more capable than I thought I was. So that the taps and the valves on the stress container are really really important. Yeah, I like that analogy. So, are there pillars of st- or or standards that you think someone should focus on um, as it pertains to you know either stress or even uh, the well being focus? One of the ones I, I like to use um, because it, it it chimes with me really and, and it seems to, we get good feedback from audiences in, in our work is um, there's a thing called the five ways to well-being. Um, I think this originally in terms of England at least came from a, a body called the New Economics Foundation, a think tank if you like. Um, very simple, very clear. Um, and, and the five parts of that are connect, which is connecting with human beings, um, relating to people, uh, not being uh, completely isolated, being able to talk in, in some shape or form, whether that's over Zoom or video cameras or whatever it might be, um, being active. So that's the fitness piece, if you like. That's the activity. That's the um, and That might be going to the gym or running a marathon. That may be walking the dog. It's about what, what works for us, really. Um, give which is giving a compliment to a co-worker, saying well done to somebody, maybe volunteering your time as well. That, that it hugely benefits your mental health, but also the person on the receiving end. Uh, the fourth one is keep learning, uh, whether that's a new language or to play the guitar or learn more about your mental health, whatever might to, but might work for that really. And last but not least is taking notice. And, and I think what that means is actually stopping and actually looking out the window and seeing what the weather's doing, um, taking a breath maybe, um, getting up from your desk and walking around um, to give yourself a new focus, a shift of focus maybe. So so I, I think that's the one the, the one I like to use, the one that kind of connects most with me. There, there, I've, I've used one of the five mm-hmm. by saying the word connect there for a start. Mm-hmm. So, uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, I think that's the one I'd offer. <laughs> yeah, I, I like these and I definitely can see different ways that I can implement those into my daily life. So um, are there common signs uh, of stress, like, you know, so that you, we have these five ways to well-being that we could utilize, but are there some signs that people can notice um, when they're getting to that um, container being full? Yeah, I think people classically think of things like uh, where someone may shout or they may scream or they may withdraw from other people, they may isolate, mm. they may pull out of social gatherings, whatever it may be. I think the wider thing for me is that what we're often, what we're looking for, what I'm looking for in myself when I'm struggling is is some small change, something that says that's not who Mike normally is. Um, it might be in a workplace, it might be things like, well, Mike's someone who will take things on and run with things and develop things. 
but actually suddenly he needs micromanaging. He's, he's lost confidence. He is not able to take his own decisions. And maybe I'm coming back and asking whether I'm allowed to spend small amounts of money and in budget when actually I've been spending thousands very confidently and, and obviously with approval and, and backing. But So it's that change, that change in people. Some people may become actually more louder and more confident and that might stand out in a way that says, what's going on here? Um, mm. I need to find a way of just checking in and saying, how are you doing? And um, what, what's going on? What's going on for you, really? So that, that, that change, I think, is something that, and being able to say to people, being able to feed back to somebody a change, particularly in behavior, is possibly a safer way to start these conversations because that's real and you can kind of prove that um, when you start having a conversation with somebody. Yeah, those are really good suggestions for, you know, leaders, partners, friends to uh, pay attention to when you're working with colleagues or your your peers uh, on recognizing some of those common signs of stress. So thank you for sharing that. Um, now, let's transition to the how to. Right. How do you help um, colleagues who need support? What is some advice that you would give to those leaders, friends, partners on how to help those colleagues? I think the, the start point for me is, is honesty. Um, it's, it's some honesty mm-hmm. about yourself sometimes as well. Um, I think sometimes kind of phrases can sound quite cliche, but I really like the phrase, it's okay not to be okay, because none of us are 100% mm-hmm. all the time. Um, and having, I certainly respond to leaders that are able to share some of their vulnerability appropriately uh, and at the right times. That that can actually be a very powerful thing, uh, very useful thing in, in lots of ways. Um, lots of sensitivity, yes. Um, but but I think preparedness to talk, a preparedness to take maybe both heads, both people, however many people, out of the immediate situation and go for a walk and not try and make things too formal. Sometimes the workplace maybe just isn't the right place for this conversation, but maybe maybe a local cafe mm-hmm. is, uh, maybe the sidewalk is, maybe mm-hmm. the local park is. It's it's those kind of things that um, honesty and integrity, I think, are, are huge things. Um, but yeah, being prepared to listen. Also, I, I think it took me too long in my working career to kind of accept and understand this, that sometimes I'm the wrong person for this conversation. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes maybe I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm too male, I'm too old, I'm too white, I'm too mm-hmm. English. Mm-hmm. All, all of those things might mm-hmm. be possibilities. And, and the ability to say, you know what, I think, uh, I think we can help you and I think we should help you. How about you try a conversation with X person or Y person? Um, knowing your people mm-hmm. and knowing who they relate to, I think, can make a, a big, big difference. And the feeling that it's not a defeat or a weakness on your part if you can't solve everything. We've all jobs to do. We've all businesses to run as well. Right. Um, it's about how we involve lots of people. I think diversity becomes hugely important here, having a diverse group of people who can make these offers. Because sometimes, like I say, I'm, I'm just the wrong person. Um, I found over the years that working for a mental health charity means that lots of people will talk to you about these things. Um, some people won't. And some people are scared of the implication mm-hmm. of talking to me because of who I work for. Um, I think maybe sometimes people think I might be able to section them under the Mental Health Act or something like that. I can't and mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to. Mm-hmm. But um, but people think those things. And, and anything that's a barrier to people talking, I, I want to remove um, as swiftly as we can, really. Yeah. You know, that's something that I struggle with as well Is I've always wanted to come up with a solution when, you know, people are struggling or need help. And, and sometimes just listening to your point is is all the help that you can provide in that moment or giving them the right person to listen that will listen to them that can connect with them. So um, definitely something that I can continue working on. 
Now, I, I got to think that there's some risk factors to consider, right? Even when you go down this road, what are some of those risk factors that to consider or keep in mind? Yeah, I, I think it's a really important question. Um, and a couple of different ways you can look at risk factors, I think. One of the things, one of the ways I look at risk factors is that people have lots of things going on in their lives. And I think as, as we, particularly in workplaces, we know our people, get to know our people, knowing who of my team, if you like, who of the workforce is, I don't know, um, caring for a dependent, maybe a disabled dependent, or who is currently moving house, who's having a child, etc. These are wonderful things mm-hmm. often, um, but they bring new pressures and dynamic pressures that can help us develop, but also sometimes can mean that the stress container is filling up again. Um, so we kind of list these as, it can sound awful, I think, sometimes we list these lovely life things as risk factors, but, but they can be really. Who, who mm-hmm. among people is balancing who's juggling a lot of balls in the air at the moment maybe i'm just keeping a slightly greater focus on them um clearly if anybody expresses anything that where there's a suggestion that they may be harming themselves or they have any thoughts about suicide in particular those are risk factors that we we must push push up and not hold to ourselves and talk to somebody and make sure that that people get help and uh, connect people with um, the business offer, but but also maybe with emergency services in extreme situations. So so yeah, I think it's, it's those kind of two aspects for me around uh, risk factors. It's not presuming though. Um, lots of people juggle amazing things that I probably would never cope with. Mm-hmm. But they do it really mm-hmm. well because maybe they're just much better at emptying their stress container. Maybe they've been here lots of times before and they're just more skilled than I am. That that has to be a possibility. Mm-hmm. So uh, the honesty, the integrity, the, the listening to people, all huge around all of this, really. Yeah. And so for this, for us that are less skilled, you know, do you have any advice on how to approach the topic of mental well-being with others? Do you have some advice for us? Yeah, um, certainly sensitively. I think we, we have to have an eye to history, don't we? Um, certainly in the country I've lived all of my life, um, it's relatively recent that um, I, I think I still meet people who still find it quite striking that a man in particular will talk openly about accessing counselling um, or mm-hmm. I, I've taken antidepressants at times. I've needed that kind of input, that kind of help at time. Um, so a sensitivity to the, the kind of history and the stigma that there still is around mental health and people, I didn't grow up being able to talk about this um that's why i left it far too long to ask for help is the truth of the matter and being aware of that Uh is important so yeah lots of sensitivity lots of subtlety but but i think the preparedness to get it wrong um i've heard some amazing example in workplaces where managers said i observed behavior in a person i was very worried about them i hadn't necessarily had particular training around this and felt um, not so skilled in dealing with it but I tried and, and actually having a conversation with the person where you say, well, I don't know what the answer is here, but let's work together because I value as a person, this company values you hugely for your input and your work and your effort. I don't need to have my, someone managing me with a perfect answer all the time because they're human beings and, and, and I need to respect that too. But your honesty, your preparedness and the preparedness to seek help from others when it's needed, I think goes a very, very long way for human beings. Mm. There's a lot that you just said in being prepared to get it wrong. I don't think I've ever thought about it from that lens, but it makes a lot of sense, right? Because you're not always going to get it right. And if you're prepared for it, you can you know, know how to pivot or transition to what's next. 
Yes, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I had to do that so many times. Then we'll yeah. we'll do it many times again. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, so I want to stay well, right? So what's the advice on ways that our audience can stay well? What can we do? I think it's um, it, it's about the. Uh, I mentioned it earlier. I, I like the idea of watch your five a day for your mental well being. Um, I'd say for myself personally, um, the stress container is not something I would check in on every day. I, I think that would be too too much. That would be too much of a focus on that. But I come back to it every few months and say, where's this at? Um, maybe the last time I looked, I was doing really well. Maybe the next time I'm not doing so well, and that gives me the room to think, what's changed? What am I? What was what was I doing that was effective previously? And oh, I stopped doing some of that have other life pressures taken over that so keeping an eye on your exercise personally speaking I, I have to do about an hour's cardio a day otherwise I really do feel the difference I think it's mm -hmm. more subtle than being able to tell how full your stress container is that easily um, but I think I can feel it um, so I need to think about that um, I need to be very observant on whether I'm talking to people and opening up or not um, whether I'm shying away from having conversations I think those are things to watch for um, and I think in the workplace it's about am I getting stuck on particular things um, uh, have I been very successful in particular area and then suddenly I'm not feeling so able is, is that a sign is that something to to have a look at really so it's, it's that balance of things that checking in on a regular basis um, my exercise my nutrition my sleep um, but also mm -hmm. my thinking how am I beating up on myself am I giving myself a particularly hard time now and why is that is that worth a conversation with someone um, if I can yeah, I think I'm going to have you and call you daily to help me with some of my <laughs> areas of opportunity. So. Uh, you just mentioned about sleep, right? And that's that's a big one. I know for me personally, it is as well. But why is sleep a huge contributor to that that mental health? Oh, lots, I think, and I'm, uh, I'm I'm no scientist. There's lots of science behind this. I'd never right. claim to be, but uh, in, in terms of the kind of education piece that I'm I'm involved in, really, the uh, certainly sleep, um, the lack of sleep, the struggling with your sleep. It's much harder to be rational. Mm -hmm. It's much harder to have a clear focus on things. Um, what things that are relatively small can look so much bigger um, when we struggle with our sleep. And and it's a, it's a kind of chicken and egg effect in, in, in a sense, uh, or a domino effect maybe you could call it, maybe that's a better description, that um, we then focus on why aren't I sleeping? Um, why am I so tired? And, and it becomes difficult then to uh, potentially to, to address that. And I suppose one of the simplest and powerful messages I've used in training sessions is that um, the idea that, and it's an awful idea in a sense, but the fact that sleep deprivation is unfortunately a really highly successful torture technique. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, if we're losing sleep, um, and it's probably not, not our fault, it'll be a combination of factors, but losing sleep, there's an element of torturing ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's um, the human body tends to collapse quicker through lack of sleep than through lack of food. So sleep is so integral to our well-being and our functioning and, and our cognitive ability. Um, my memory um, is not the greatest mm -hmm. at the best of times, it has to be said, but it's it certainly seems worse when I'm struggling with my sleep. There's no two ways about it. And, and how I perform at work, I think, is measurably not as good um, when I'm struggling with sleep. Yeah, yeah. Got to get that rest. So important. So I have a confession, and, and I know many others have this same addiction um, around technology, right? Um, just addicted to technology, either whether it be on your laptop, phone, tablet, whatever it is, right? 
have a hard time shutting it down. So why is having that detox from technology so important to our mental well-being? I'm, I, I agree with you, Ian, in terms of I, I wish I could be as good at it mm-hmm. as, as I'm encouraging other people to be. It's so much easier to tell other people than it is to do it yourself yeah. so often, I find. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's um, some of the things we just said about, about sleep as well. Again, there's a level of science beyond my um, kind of position, if you like, at, at knowledge. But certainly I, I've done things around looking at the the emission of blue light from my phone and going into the settings and, and having a play with that and seeing how that impacts on me. Um, trying not to um, charge my phone in the room where I'm aiming to sleep. Certainly the advice seems to be that rough, you need roughly about two hours off digital devices before you're going to get any quality level of sleep. And I don't achieve that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very addictive. Um, I would kind of questioned myself a year or two back and said, well, I've got all these apps on my phone. I'm getting all these notifications. Um, I'm finding myself worrying that, well, what if I'm missing the message from my family or, or a colleague that's in app number seven um, mm. and actually what I've done is turned off all the notifications other than the essential stuff phone calls and text messages pretty much I mean there may be other things in a workplace context of course but because I can disappear down the wormhole of searching through all these things I lose focus I, I may well lose sleep so yeah really important the idea of a technology detox I think is obviously relatively new the, some of the technology is new uh, also important to say that I think sometimes this comes across as a all technology is bad, and, and that's clearly not right. right. Um, it can be incredibly supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, I can think of lots of people I've met for whom technology has made a vast positive difference mm-hmm. to their mental health and well-being, has connected them with people in ways they've not been able to connect before. So I don't think it's technology bad. It's it's thinking about how we use it and its impact on our health, both mental and physical, really. Yeah, so just taking a break, yeah, because we need technology, yeah. right? But we have to find that balance and be able to take that break from it. So yeah, definitely an area of opportunity there. Um, What are some of the different ways people manage uh, their own levels of stress in and out of the workplace? Have you seen any patterns, any uh, best practices in and out of the workplace? I think kind of combining the two of looking at a combination of approaches across um, kind of life and work is can be really successful, is really successful. It, it's very individual and uh, different things work for, for different people. Um, I often make, mm-hmm. um, give an opportunity for, and it often gives people a laugh when I deliver a training course by saying that certainly one of my coping mechanisms is very heavy and very loud music. Um, that work, mm. that works for me. Um, it would be the l- worst thing yeah. in the world for many people. And we're all different. Um, the way we relate mm-hmm. to things is, is, is different and our, our life histories are different. Of course they are. That's the, where diversity becomes so important again, doesn't it? But, um, so, but I think looking across the yeah. piece of life and, and how life and work balances um very quickly we did a, a short kind of panel with the banking industry actually or a bank um, one of their offices in Birmingham and, and it was a panel piece around men and the birth of their first child and how they often found that balance of life and work really difficult at that point um, maybe other people's expectations of um, their job role alongside being a new father um, and, and some of the things um, some of those men said to us was yes it was about exercise yes it was about space and time 
Um, but also it was about conversations with work about, well, I'm just as committed to this company. I'm going to put just as much in as I can. But actually, I have this new thing in my life that's that's central and, and really important. Um, so so other, other people understanding that, that change, those balance. Uh, because actually, I think when you understand that and give people support, um, a chance to you know, kind of talk or cry or whatever they need to do, you, you engender huge loyalty. Um, when I've been supported by employers and managers, they get a lot more out of me, is the truth of the matter, because it, it, it matters. It, it makes a huge difference that, that people give you room and time and respect. And, and oftentimes, I think we, we really do want to pay that back tenfold is, is often the way it goes, really. So, But but I think a respect for how individual that balance is, is is just so important. And maybe being able to offer examples. I think where leaders offer examples from their own experience, that can that can be a very, very powerful thing. Um, I suppose one, one brief example of that is um, I'm an instructor for a thing called Mental Health First Aid. Um, there is a version of that for the armed forces in England. Um, I don't deliver that. I've never worked. I've, I've never been in the armed forces. I don't know their life, their training. I've never been under fire. Um, there's a level of whether it's fair on their part or not, a level of a barrier. Um, so people are trained in the armed forces to deliver that training. Hearing it from your own, from your peer group, I think can make a huge, huge difference to people. Yeah, there's a lot of value in yes. those connections, right? And then when you see someone who's going through it who's similar or like you, um, it allows you to you know make that connection and, and, and actually get the help that you might need or the Absolutely. support that you need that you brought up. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We all need support. And I think that's so important. And that's why this is such a really good topic, because you just never know. You never know what support someone is needing. You don't know what they're going through. Um, and, and we appreciate organizations like yourself, uh, like mine, Birmingham, that provides uh, some relief because you just never know. So, so my last question for you is, is there any advice that you would give those who, who may be struggling with mental health? Is, is there things that you would suggest um, on, you know, ways to, you know, get through it similar to maybe some of your own personal experiences? Yeah, I, I think the, again, as I say, it can sound like a cliche, but that phrase, it's okay not to be okay. I think it really is an important one to to accept that we all have vulnerabilities in some areas. We, we all have better days than, than other days. Um, that doesn't make us weak or unprofessional in the workplace in particular, but it makes us human. Uh, it, it makes us who we are in, in lots of ways. So the preparedness to try, um, I think honesty and integrity from the person needing the support is, is vital as well. It's vital from a manager but also vital from the person the, the willingness to try to try and have a conversation um, to, to seek that out um, to maybe um, I think a big thing for a lot of people is maybe they tried before and maybe it hasn't been successful or they didn't feel listened to um, there's an element of kind of learning from that and and being prepared to try again um, the feeling that I'm I'm worth it as a human being I have something to offer this company um, we need to use those as drivers to say well however difficult this may be and this may not be part of my background or I wasn't brought up to talk about this it is actually the professional thing to do the professional thing is to talk and to seek help 
um, to seek advice, um, find the right people to talk to, um, and, and keep trying, I think, is the other thing. Um, but also that it's about uh, maybe a willingness to hear different offers. Different things work for different people. Some people, medication may be an important part of recovery from mental health issues. Other people, it might be counselling. Some people find things like mindfulness, relaxation therapies. that actually, they benefit more from more exercise. Um, different things. Uh, different things work for people, really. But the, the encouragement to try, the encouragement to talk, the encouragement to believe that there's a future and that people want to hear. Um, because I, I'm finding more and more people do want to help. The, that, that burst mm -hmm. of energy around this piece of mental health in the workplace. Um, it's a joy to deliver the training in whatever shape or form we do that, whether that's over the internet or in person, um, because you rarely get unwilling participants. People want to make change. Um, when you hear people saying, you know what, my job, and, and I like being at my company more because they encourage me to do this. They see this as important. I think it almost can become a retention issue, that it becomes such a positive. This is a place that encourages me to talk about my mental health. This is a safe place. This is a place I see a career with and I see a future with. Um, anything we can do to encourage that, encourage people to talk to each other, I think um, it's creating that atmosphere where it, it just becomes normal. Um, I, I've, I've stolen it. All my best catchphrases are stolen from audiences, like, like most presenters, <laughs> I guess, really. I really like um, examples I can give. Really quite senior men in particular in corporate organisations who said things like, well, the way I really got my male friends to understand this is I said things like, you have regular physio on your knee that you injured on a football field or a hockey field or whatever it may be, basketball court. Um, I sometimes have physio for my head. It's a different type mm. of therapist, but sometimes it's precautionary. Sometimes it may be more crisis related, but actually, but, but why do we see them as different? It's, it's our health overall. That, that's what it should be, really. So, but yeah, it's, it's about encouragement and but trying, but believing that people will listen. That there are people there who want to listen to you and want to help. Yeah, well, you're an example of someone who tried, right? And without you trying, I don't think we would be here right now. You know, we wouldn't have the ability to have or leverage you as a resource. And I think you bring up a very valid point about uh, the company's willingness to make this a focus for their employees. And so kudos to those companies who do that. Uh, I know personally that I walked away with a lot of key takeaways from what you shared with our audience. And I hope that many of our uh, folks that are listening to this uh, podcast have an opportunity to walk away from some of the really amazing points that you brought up and shared with us. So Mike, thank you so much for making time out of your day to share some of your knowledge and insight and some of these best practices. We know they all, they all won't work for everyone, but um, one of the key things that I, I heard you say was, hey, we have to try and we have to be willing to listen. Um, and those are some of the first steps in really helping people get to a, a, a healthy uh, mindset. So thank you very much for making the time out of your day. Yeah, you're most welcome. Thank you, Ian. Really enjoyable from my point of view. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today and a special thanks to Mike from Mind. If you would like to know more about the mental health training offered by Mike and the work undertaken by Birmingham Mind, then please visit them at birminghamminds.org. As always, you can learn more about AGS at AllegisGlobalSolutions.com. And if you have any questions for Mike or AGS, feel free to tweet us at AllegisGlobal with the hashtag subject to talent. Also, you can email us at subjecttotalent at allegisglobalsolutions.com. And if you enjoyed our podcast today, please subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.